Hey, homie, I'm getting tired of dudes just getting over on the rasa. This is for the rasa. This is the reality dysfunction. Greetings, dysfunctionals. Dr. Ernesto back with our group of dysfunctional experts ready to tackle the issue of urban uprisings. Are they rioters or freedom fighters? It's never quite as simple as it seems when it comes to rebellion. Hang in there for this episode, though, because the conclusions are simply dysfunctional, mainly to the colonial system. Let's get to it. Well, does, er, Francisco, do you want to do a recap of maybe some themes or something just to kind of frame the conversation? Well, from, uh, from our first, our conversation on Friday with uh, uh, Serene, Serene and, and Cruz Rodriguez. And Cruz, right? After talking with Serene and Cruz, it definitely gave us the idea that there, there is some history, an extensive history of injustice in the Minneapolis area. And I, the part that I found very inspiring was that at the same time, there definitely seems to be a strong unity and a strong movement and organization of different communities. So it seemed that uh, it was well organized. I would have to agree. I think that the work that was going on in Minneapolis, I mean, particularly if you look at like the Facebook posts and stuff, it's really clear that even though there was a lot of destruction that took place, people in the community, particularly business owners, uh, were standing with the with the protesters and were saying, yes, it, having this uh, destruction of property is bad, but it doesn't in any way, shape or form rise to the level of taking a human life. I think that you know, it's it's really important to to remember also that for whatever reason, I mean, I can think of a number of reasons, but I, I we can leave some of those for like later conversation. That the police have just ramped up their uh, attacks, um, and you know, on individuals in the community, and I mean, even just within the past month, it's not just George Floyd. You know, there's that young woman, uh, Brianna Taylor. And uh, that gentleman, I can't remember his name. Um, Ahmad Arbery. There you go. Uh, who was running in, in just leaves out for a jog. And, you know, the thing is, is that all of these deaths are, are law enforcement related. Even, even the gentleman who was out jogging. Because for some reason, this father and son duo just felt like they could stop him to check who he was. Right? And, oh, and, and those two gentlemen were previously... Law enforcement, right? They worked yeah. in some capacity with the yeah. police. The oh, right, and, and, and that might and that might uh, reflect in the why it took two months for uh, for any kind right. of prosecutorial action to take place. Yeah, but that's because the video came out, and that's what I was going to say. Is it ramped up, or is it just now being exposed at a higher level right now? Yeah, you know, as, as I watched all the videos of the marches, I didn't go to the march in Saginaw. I'm I'm a diabetic, and I'm just not ready to be in the crowd of a couple thousand people yet. But as I watched, I saw these young people and it occurred to me that they grew up in, they didn't grow up without the internet like we did. They grew up in the social media age where they've seen this their whole life. They've seen people dying on camera from at the hands of police their entire lives. I grew up with a distrust of police from the age of about five. I don't know if I've ever told you guys this story, but I had an uncle who was murdered here in Saginaw when I was about five years old. The guy that killed him was a guy with a wooden leg. If you've ever seen The Fugitive, it's like the same storyline, right? 
these guys were not very hard to find, but because Monaco was a poor Mexican, they weren't looking. Police weren't looking. And I, I grew up with that, you know, and I grew up with that distrust and doubt about justice when it came to the police. He was found 25 years later, so he lived a lifetime, um, you know, with no no justice for what happened. And there was eyewitnesses. I mean, everybody knew who did it. There were people willing to testify that they saw, you know, some of what happened and whatever. So that's why I have a distrust of the police. But this younger generation, they've seen it. They've seen it live and in color on social media and on TV. So, I mean, it's, it's I don't know, it's, it's a totally different perspective than what I guess most of us grew up with. I, I would agree with you 100% on that, uh, Sosa. But I would push it to the extent that it's not just the police. We have to bring in the word militarization into it, right? To see that out there. I mean, just, you know, you got the National Guard coming in. You have, you know, um, I don't know what they call it. You know, they got the full vest. You know, they got the whole gear. The team it's, is on. It's, it's like, they're on, right? Gear. They're wearing combat gear. I mean, think about yeah. the helmets, the masks, the shields, right? Um, it, and it those is. come dire directly from the U.S. military. Those are given mm -hmm. to local police departments. Mm -hmm. or local sheriff's departments usually, unless the sheriff department refuses to accept it. But the sheriff, department, the sheriff in Saginaw refused to accept the military equipment. And it, it's all a surplus of this war on terror right. that yeah. starts in 2001. I mean, we've, we've gone around the world for the last 20 years, blowing up every fucking place that we stepped on. And there's all these guns, there's all this extra equipment. I mean, in every sense of the word, the actual physical equipping of the police to the level of the military is really the chickens coming home to roost. That's a really interesting yeah. point because uh, uh, in, in capital society, when there's a surplus of food, they destroy it. Yeah. The surplus of military war, what do they do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they hand it out, well, hand it out, control your population. And we've seen no, the destroying of food. Yeah, we've seen the destruction of food. Yeah. We've, it, we've seen real. the destruction, destruction yes. of food, right? Their food is rotting all over farms in the middle of trucks because nobody wants to drive them, right? Yeah. So yeah. We're, we're seeing all of it. Yeah. 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 And you the know, farmers but... are, one second, farmers are also being told to kill their animals. They're being told by mm. the people who give them money to, it is cheaper for them to kill the animals than themselves than to send them to the meat meat plant where there are no workers because the meat plants are breeding grounds for COVID. So mm. it, it is just sick and wrong to, to kill our own food supply. The other thing I was gonna say here real quick is um, it's not just the equipment the military that, that contributes to the militarization. Police departments, I mean, they recruit guys, guys go from the military straight into police departments. Uh, in fact, there's like a grid system where you get X amount of points that makes your application more uh, appealing to the police departments. A guy coming from the military is more sought out than somebody who has a college degree for a police department. So on this metric system, they get more points if they're coming out of the military than even if they have a four-year degree. You think about what we've been doing uh, across the world, this endless wars that we've been doing, and then you got guys going over there coming off of combat, who knows, probably a decent number of them have PTSD, and then they get pumped right into the police departments. Uh, that's another so, militarization, you know? 
This is Juan Carlos in Washington, D.C., and I went to the demonstration yesterday with my friend David. And as we parked about 20-minute walk, maybe, from the demonstration site, which was right in front of the White House, the amount of sirens that you could hear and the amount of military vehicles, utility vehicles. I looked it up to make sure I knew what kind of vehicles, military vehicles they were. In just a section that we walked by was like about a dozen of them. And then the DEA, which I don't remember the name of that federal agency, what it spells out to. But they are DEA, and then in combination with DC local police, then once you got to the demonstration area, when I left because the curfew was at seven, and they said you you will get arrested. And based on what had happened the night before, I was like, I'm not ready for this. So I you know I left, but my housemate stayed. And when I left the area, the immediate streets outside where the demonstrations were, were blocked off. There was only one way out, and it was north on, on 16th Street in front of the White House. So they had the area militarized, different local, city, and federal agencies, which they mingle in their own buildings, in their structures. They are not supposed to share information, but that's how... ISIS everywhere because these federal agencies are also have some kind of presence in many locals, you know, security and police spaces. And that just makes for even a better combination of what was supposed to happen militarily and to corral the population that was there. Thank God nothing happened yesterday um, and it was pretty peaceful, but it brought me back to some of the things that were happening in Puerto Rico as well. Mm -hmm. How at 11 p.m. at night, the police forces were ready to start shooting, you know, with, you know, the bullets, the rubber bullets, as well as gas. And then in here, the curfew yesterday was until 7 p.m., but now the mayor, who we all feel is a friend of Trump's, even though she's a Democrat, but she... Um, now the curfew is at 11 o'clock. So immediately I thought, oh, wow, like in Puerto Rico. So if at 11 o'clock the curfew, you got to go home, are they going to start, you know, shooting people? And you see the way they're militarized in comparison to how the people are militarized. What they have is a mask, a bottle of water, you know. You don't, it's like they're, they're, they, they really don't have any weapons in comparison to the militarization that I saw yesterday. Yeah. They started the militarization of the police forces back in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you think about the first, and I remember I was, I'm old enough to remember when they would have that SWAT show. You know, I remember seeing parts of it like SWAT, you know. That started in response to what had been going on as far as all of these liberation movements, you know, it started because of the Panthers, because of AIM, because of the Berets, because of all the movement that had been going young on Lords. in the 60s and 70s. The Young Lords, yeah, for sure, all of that. And uh, they started seeing how, you know, uh, the young people, the young new Africans, you know, the young Puerto Rican, all of that, and do that. Man. And so this is just the 2020 version of what they started back in, in the 1960s and 70s. With cameras on them. Yeah, with cameras. <laughs> yeah. Let's get let's get Francisco in here. Thanks. So 
I wanted to touch back on that point and extend that point of mentalization and what do you do with the surplus by sharing here what's happening here in Moreno Valley, right? I'm in the Inland Empire of Southern California. I work at a middle school. The campus supervisors, the campus supervisors have handcuffs. They're in green uniforms. They wear a bulletproof vest every day. They have pepper spray, you know, whatever kind of spray they might have and whatever else on their belt, right? Um, now you tell me, a green uniform in Southern California, who, what are you reminding? Who are you mimicking? Ice Border Patrol, you know? Yeah, it's crazy. I, I see that and it, it doesn't click with a lot of people, you know, like, you know, you could have chosen any other color, a blue uniform, you know, right? A pink uniform, you know, neon green, whatever it may be. <laughs> and then to see it this week, you know, on Monday, my city of Moreno Valley was under curfew at 6 p.m. Yesterday, we were under the curfew at 8 p.m. And my city, you know, is we're like, I think we may have 10% white, 15%. Everybody else mm. black and brown, pretty much. Arab, you know, yeah. I'm sure that the, that the <clears throat> you know, police people that are at your school, I would bet that they apprehend people of color at quadruple the rate that they do white kids. And, and it just, we've got to get these people out of our schools. They are not there to help or keep the peace. They're there to feed the prison, the school to prison system. So they can keep their stupid prisons, you know, full and keep billions of dollars pumping to the senseless system that does nothing more than, you know, incarcerate people of color at, you know, at extreme numbers. And, and that's part of population. what the riots are about, right? I think it's totally what the riots are about is this mm -hmm. this constant pushing right where they're just like sticking their finger in our eyeball because you know every, every way that we turn i mean we're being policed and we're being herded and we're being watched and we're just being controlled right so like you see all these people and they're like oh we gotta have peace we gotta have peace but part of what they don't understand is that you know uh peace from one side that's not really peace. Mm -hmm. That's called surrender. And so, you know, the real question I think that we have to ask ourselves is we see these thousands of young kids out in the street, right? Isn't it, the question isn't, are they unpeaceful, right? Are they doing something wrong? I mean, the real question I think that we have to ask ourselves is where does this, this desire, this deep-seated desire to not surrender come from, right? Resentment like Zizek says, is the refusal to normalize oppression. Mm. And I think that that's what we see happening out in the streets right now, is that yeah. these kids are like, no, nah, fuck that. I'm not going to be the next one. Because that's real. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but every time I get pulled over by the police, I get scared. I do. So you know? do I. And I, it's I, just I, like, course, yeah. Well, you know, it, it, I think it's interesting, too, the way uh, a lot of it is framed. Um, you know, you hear riot, 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 you know, when in fact, is it rebellion, 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 or is it mm -hmm. both, you know, some of both, depending on who it is, you know. But I think we got to start using the term freedom fighters, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a really that's good point. Yeah. Are, are we feeding into the verbiage that popular media such as CNN, New York Times, and all of those calling it riots and looters, right? Or what is the narrative that we are just doing, right? One of the things that we always talk about between us is what are what is the narrative? How, what are we saying about it, right? As we are in the midst of all of this. 
right? As a community that is being subjugated to all of this, what are we saying about it? How are we saying this? How are we telling the story? I, I was actually surprised the other day. It was between Friday and, and today sometime. But it wasn't today. It was in the last few days in the Washington Post. There was an opinion piece. And it basically framed what was going on in the same way as uh, something would be reported in a different country. And when they reported hmm. it in that perspective, you're just like, oh, yeah, well, there you go. That's another important point that to touch upon is the world's watching, you know, and the credibility of the United States is is really taking a nosedive once again or a hit again, you know, what kind of impacts will that have in for the next president, you know, for Biden, for, I don't know. Yeah, yeah China really a- went off on the United States about a lot of uh, the civil rights or human rights violations that we have here, um, being that we criticize China a lot about those things. Yeah. You, you've seen any of that in the news. They kind of had a field day with it. And it's kind of, it's especially ironic because this is the anniversary of um, a lot of the students and everything that were killed and shot um, in Beijing. I don't know how many years ago it was now. Um, touch, yeah. yeah. And I didn't want to touch on um, what Marge said earlier about the system. I think an important thing in all this is getting people to understand that there is a system in place um, that benefits from, you know, our oppression. And, you know, one of the, the things that's always stuck with me, you know, we talked about education, what, a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, um, the amount of prison space that's needed in any state is determined by the amount of third graders who fail standardized yeah. testing. Third graders. Third yeah. graders, yeah. I know. Yeah. Third graders. And there's a direct corollary, you know, right between, <laughs> between it. So, I mean, how do you get around that? I mean, how do you not look at that one thing and say, yeah. We're, we, we're, we're predisposing people at third, the third grade level to be we, in prison. Most. We have to educate ourselves. That, that is like the first start. And I agree with what Alex said about what is the narrative that we're going to create about this, because I think it's up to us to create that. We know mainstream media is not going to do it for us. You know, on this global point, Danny, you know, I was shocked and amazed that there were demonstrations in London and Paris and Copenhagen and Poland, you know, people all over the world fighting on our behalf and fighting, you know, sports people, famous soccer players wearing t-shirts that say justice for George Floyd. You know, you think about how does Colin Kaepernick look now? No one wanted to participate when it, when he was being peaceful and doing what he could. Everyone's like, oh, why can't they be peaceful? They The, the thing is, white people are mainstream America. A lot of them don't want to participate in this conversation. So it's it's uncomfortable. But we've got to be the ones to say, look, we need to educate our people. We need to unite. We need to unite with our Black brothers and sisters and come together on our agenda items that we share in common. We've got to start voting at the national, national and local level. And we also have to really take a mindset, a, a mindset of, of unity. Like, I think the unity, you know, a house cannot stand divided. But if we could unite and really change the narrative, we could really steer the ship in a much better direction. And, and that's what the part of the uh, the youth and the freedom fighters out, out there are asking the nation to do, kneel there. But I also yeah. think it's important that not only are other countries showing support for Floyd, but also I think it's it, it raises the question also of uh, racism and uh, segregation and classism. I know in Mexico, it, it, right, that was right away. All right, well, 
what are we doing? How are we doing it? How are we acting to the indigenous communities? And that, that's all great. There's uh, growth to be made there, right? The reality is that the way we talk about the people that go to demonstrate, we don't want it to reflect what CNN and the, the regular media is doing because they, most of the time they're referring as rioting right. and looting. And that is strictly associated by racial lines, right? It goes right along that. We know when people of color are looters and rioting, and then when you know white folks with their gun go to the Capitol and demonstrate, they're peaceful demonstrating and everybody has their right, right? So I think that we need to refer, you know, a basic word is demonstrators and protestors. You know, I think it's essential that those are very neutral words, but I also think we need to refer as you know, justice fighters, you know, and freedom fighters, because that's what they are to a degree nowadays. And I think it is important to remember that based on the Constitution of the United States of America, we have the right to stand there and demonstrate peacefully without having the police coming over and repressing people for whatever reason or just because the current president wants to get a photograph with the Bible because that's what happened here in DC. The moment he wanted to cross from the White House to go get to the ch to go to the church, which he never goes to, to take a photograph with the Bible, what happened? That's the moment he starts his speech, the protesters are being gas bombs and all these other, getting them out of there so that the president could cross the street to take a photograph. It just shows the, the power that they have over us, you know. So it is important that we make sure that we know what is the proper terminology that we want to refer to and in support of what they're doing, not rioting and looters, because that's not what we're, what's happening there. And I think that a large part of what Magda said, Magda really touched into a piece of this that, that I've been really thinking about the, the last couple of days. I think that one of the things that's, that's very important about what's happening is it dramatizes a, a number of things. And I think one of the things that it absolutely dramatizes is the lack of radical organization within the Chicano Latino community. And when I say radical, what I mean is that we have to have organizations that expect more than reform. They expect more than reform, right? Like, if we're just going to work and make it just a little bit better, you know? I mean, we have to have organizations that challenge reform or the reformist idea, that challenge the status quo. Organizations that say, what if we really respected the lives of black people in this country? What if we really respected the lives of indigenous people? What does that look like? I mean, on one level, what it means, if we're really going to do that, what it means is that settler colonialism itself has to come to an end because there's no way that the lives of black and brown people in, can be respected in the United States within a settler colonial context. Mm -hmm. Our deaths, our deaths, the deaths of our ancestors are literally what this country is built on. I mean, that, that's not an exaggeration. That is a historical fact that this country fetishizes through its public education system, right? Mm -hmm. It's a lesson to all of us. Watch what you say, hey. watch how you act, 
Remember the Alamo. That's right. Remember, remember the Alamo. I mean, I don't think there's any political Latinx, Latino social justice organization really, really make, making any minor difference at the national level to take the conversation in a different way that does what the few, very few national organizations that are out there that are Latino specific that are doing is mostly service oriented and maybe some policy advocacy and they may get a, a victory once every 10 years, which is good. But, you know, we need somebody that is, you know, more progressive, more grassroots, more political to change the perspectives that demonstrators are not looters or rioters and think that, yeah, there's instigators that come from within encubiertos, you know, um, within the police, right? That they walk in and they're the ones also, you know, damaging the windows and spraying on the walls. And in Puerto Rico, it was known that even some of these gas bombs were thrown and they were coming from the police area. So encubiertos, you know, uh, we're right there present. So those are things that are part of the narrative that when, you know, nobody's taking that lead. There may be some conversations about it, but at the national level, at least I don't know of anybody and of the national organizations that I know, the Hispanic Federation doesn't represent me, Akashia Network doesn't represent me. I don't know what's more on the, you know, West Coast, you know, in other regions, but they are not, they do not represent me politically. And and does anybody out there represent us even a little Is bit? Is there anybody? Do we just cancel everybody out who's out there? Like, I know for me, I'm on the East Coast. I'm in New York. AOC is like my goddess, right? And yes. I support her and I elevate her as much as possible. But we have to think about how are we using, once again, like how are we using our words mm -hmm. to put forth those who are doing good work, right? And in this group, I don't think that we've ever talked about Julian Castro and what he means to us, but he's, he's out there, right? I think so. Yeah. JC. Why not? What's wrong? Yeah. What's wrong with him? <laughs> what? <I> JC. <laughs> hey, Tocayo, what's up? <laughs> yeah. I've never seen him in church, so I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm, I'm going to go back. If I could, if I could speak, compañeras, compañeros. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go back to what, what my Tocayo said, you know, <laughs> Uh, and I think that that's that's a, a very important point here that there are several efforts out there that even small as they may seem there's a lot of efforts out there at, at building a grassroots voice for our people but I can say that at least for Aslan the southwest you know California in particular there's organizations out here but that they're not big they're not democratic party funded or or trying to steer Raza that way but they're out there but and they've been struggling for for decades to build a voice for our people, but independent and, and from the barrios themselves, you know, or the campus or wherever we're at, but the prisons. Um, I'm part of one of those efforts with the La Razonida, you know, and we've been around since 1970, but we'll doubt a heavy blow because of Cointelpro Pro and, and, and all that stuff. But there, there are efforts out there, man. And I know, uh, you know, in the East Coast, I, I've at least seen a bit of, you know, efforts of people trying to revive the young lords with our other organizations like that, that is the, among, you know, Boricua, uh, particular Raza, Boricua Raza, you know, so, so they're out there. And I think that that is what we need, but that we need, we need 
you know, voices that, that are that are going to express all those ideas that we were told every day of our lives to just push to the back of your mind. You know, we, we, talk, we talked about this the other day, that in the minds of Chicanos, and I would believe the same in the minds of our, our you know, Boricua, Boricua Raza is, you know, oh, forget the past, forget about it. You know, you lost the land. That, that's it. Don't talk about that. You know, and everybody, everybody, even the most vendido person walks around with that in the back of their mind. And, that, and that's why they become so, so defensive, you know, yeah. that, you know, oh, 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 you know, shut up. We, you know, get over that. We're Americans now, brother. But, but the fact of the matter remains that, that, you know, that's in the back of the minds of our people, you know, but we need to, we need to build, you know, uh, you know, platforms, you know, even if right now they're still a, a bit separated, but we need to have that conversation and build those platforms where we're able to express that without any fear, brother. And without saying, you know, oh man, what are they, what are they going to say about me? Uh, you know, are, are people going to get mad at me? So what? Yeah. Get mad at us anyways. Yeah. You know, they, they, they step on us anyways, you know, how, how much longer are we going to, Allow that narrative. We can allow that narrative, brother. And so I think you know we need to push that out there. Brother. Let me give you an example. We have a lot of people out here, you know, in Los Angeles or in Pacoima, where I live, you know, which part of Los Angeles, you know, a lot of you know, you'll see it on social media. A lot of you know, Rasa that are like, oh man, you know, we don't want that here. We don't, we're we're scared, or they're gonna do this and that, or looters. And it's because of what we're talking about. The way the whole thing is is being narrated to them, you know. In, as a matter of fact, the places that they've hit most, I mean, they've been here and there, you know, a few, a few uh, places, mom and pop shops, you know, broken into or whatever. But the place that they hit the most was Beverly Hills and, and Fairfax District, which is all, all Beverly Hills, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they ransacked, they looted it. I'm glad. I'm glad. They yeah, me it. too. Yeah. I don't care. You know, and, and it's a stark difference from 1992, the Alley Rebellion. They, they blocked that whole area off before people got there because people were going there. That's they blocked right. it off with the tanks. Although this time they made it through all the way. And, and so, you know, but they're feeding that narrative into people, you know. And, and um, I went to talk because there's going to be a march here in Pacoima uh, Saturday. So I went to talk to, to some homies from, from one of the local barrios, you know, because um, I know that fear is is in, in the in the community. So I went to talk to him and, I, you know, I was like, well, you know, this – from what I know, this march is being organized from local people, for some of us from La Razonida, you know, and, and other, you know, danzante groups and et cetera, you know, and we're not going to march through the barrio. We're going to march from uh, this one area that has a lot of co commercial businesses to the Foothill Police Station. Uh, Foothill Police Station is the station that beat up Rodney King. Yeah. You know, and um, so, so when I told them that, they were like, oh, okay, well, fuck that place, burn it up. <laughs> Which, you know, we don't, we're not going to do that. We're not going to advocate burning up the police station either. But, uh, but that's what they said. You know, they were, they were scared. They were, all they were, their fears were just outsiders were going to come in and, and trash up, you know, the, the little, you know, you know, the little Rasa businesses in the area, you know. So they were very defensive about that. And you know, I told them, you know, we're going to make sure that's not going to happen. If, it, if someone tries, does try to happen, does try to do that, we're going to, you know, let them know that. They're not going to come in here again, but we're going to march to the police station. So they were, you know, they were all with it, man. But we, so, I think we know, need, yeah, sorry. I can but, jump so, in here. Well, yeah. I agree that there, there is progress being made and organization is being done. I think we have a prime example in, uh, in Magda and Alex, you know, putting together this new uh, podcast on Latino woman health, you know, that those are the avenues that we need. Um, I think this, you know, you're, we've talked about this, the iPhone and the internet, you know, up to now, it, it's our organizing, maybe our greatest organizing tool in regards to uh, being informed and, and staying. But I want to ask you all, 
if we keep talking about black and white, and that's part of the way the media keeps saying it, black, white, black, white, black, white, black, white. I think it's a story that we've all are accustomed to hearing. Are we in there? Does it include us? Are we being overlooked? <coughs> I don't know. What's that say? What's that black and white narrative say? We're definitely being overlooked, Francisco. And I think that's where we need to insert ourselves. And I think if we were to partner with the black community, we could stand stronger, you know, against the oppressive community. And not all white people, right, are against us. Some are, some are with us. But for the oppressors who want things to remain as they are, I think they would they would flip out if they knew that we were partnering together because we have stronger, we could potentially have stronger numbers together. And I think, you know, I was on a call with the black community right before this. And I asked that question, what can we do? What can we do to stand in solidarity with you? And they said, well, first of all, you got to get yourselves organized. And I said, point taken. They're like, organize yourselves. And then, you know, let's find areas that are common on our agendas and fight on those and work on those together, whether it's police brutality, immigration, you know, education, the school, the prison system, what have you. We've, we've really got to find more allies. And I do agree that we need other organizations representing us. And, and maybe we create one ourselves. This two-party system stinks. You know, I'm sorry, Biden doesn't represent me. I, it would be better than our current alternative, our current, uh, you know, person in the office. But I certainly, we need, you know, we do need someone else to represent us. And, and maybe we should, maybe Alex is right. Maybe we should talk about Julian Castro. At least, you know, Julian actually identifies as Chicano, which is nice. What do you all think? Uh, I think that in the last couple of days that I have seen some really ignorant shit written in forums by other Mexicans. And it's kind of, it's a little disheartening. Everybody's all like, well, what about us? And what about this guy? And, and you know, I mean, honestly, what about us? I, I think that the, the point, to me, that's the point, is that we are not organized to make the point that we want to make to force ourselves into this national conversation. I think that's for a whole bunch of reasons. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and try to like victimize the victim on that, you know, but I think it does start with an honest conversation about something as simple as the two party system. And I see this all the time in different, uh, especially in social media, you know, I'm for Eflon, I'm for this, I'm for that. And I mean, just for the record, I am for those things, but then they start getting into crazy fights with each other about how they're going to vote for Joe Biden. I mean, if, if we're really for Islam, then we're not voting for Joe Biden. I mean, that's just, it's just really that simple, you know? Right. And so I think, you know, the conversation is always about what other people are doing to us. What we need to have is a conversation about what we're going to do for ourselves. Mm. And I think that that's, when the the situation you know really begins to shift but I, I also agree with with juan carlos i don't feel like any of these national organizations that are out there right now represent me or my political stance whatsoever right i don't they they just don't and as far as julian castro goes i'm gonna tell you right now i gave my man money when he was running for president and i did it i did it because he's mexican and I did it because everybody was like, this guy ain't gonna last past the first round. And I was just like, well, you know, I only got $15 a month that I can give this fool, but I'm gonna give him my $15 and, you know, and we'll, 
we'll see what happens. I think that it's a, I think it's a fallacy to think that we can elect somebody with brown skin and that they could become president of the United States and that they're going to represent us accurately. You know, because we kind of thought that about Obama and I like Obama. I, 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 hate, I, I like Obama too. Yeah. We need to pour it in but I think that we need to stop looking at this one person who's going to come and fucking save us. They're just not. Yeah. Never. Nobody. Right. There is nobody who is going to come and be able to represent all of us. Right. From from whatever part of the world we come from, from wherever we live regionally here in the U.S. And I think that is a, we, we bought into that, that we need to elect this president. And we're ignoring what is happening at our local level. And maybe yeah. it is important that we are at our local level, right? Who are our local city council members, right? And yeah. who control a lot of what is happening within our school systems, yeah. right? Mm. Are we ignoring our state senators, which happen to have a lot of strength in terms of funding for our city streets, right? And I think we're not paying attention to that. And, and the reason that Trump is so powerful is because he's got the Senate behind him, right? we don't talk about our our state senators like we have to start talking about these people in ways that we can mobilize them like justice democrats is doing a really great job at pushing people forward and pushing that progressive agenda and that that's where aoc ayanna presley right that's they came from that movement and i think we need to support that movement and what is our voice within that movement i think to whatever degree, Julian Castro brought different terminology, different things, concepts that were not brought by others. I'm not saying that he was the best, but he got my attention, you know? He got my attention beyond the color of his skin. It was because of what he was saying. And I think that, you know, there's a level of, you know, this younger leadership that is, you know, as Alex said, AOC, and there's several, you know, council members that are doing, you know, Latino, Latina, that are doing great work at the local level progressively, you know, I think it's important to, you know, have conversations with them, learn from them and you know see where we can move a you know more you know together voice a more powerful voice that will help to recruit voters to vote you know which is the bottom line definitely i agree with both you juan and alex i mean i think that we do need to pay more attention of what's going on in the house and the senate um they do control a lot of what happens in our state and local communities um, so we've got to do a better job at, you know, voter turnout and getting people involved. I know um, I agree that Obama deported a ton of people and shame on me for not paying attention to the time. I'm definitely embarrassed about that. And I also think that Congress blocked a lot of what he tried to do. And I do agree that that is why, you know, 45 is so effective is because they at least stand together as a party, whether they agree with them or not. And there is something that we can learn from that of at least saying, hey, we don't agree with everything you say or do, but at least they stand together. I mean, that, that's one lesson. Hey, I just, you know, I just wanted to say in the chat, I put a link to um, a shooting in Saginaw, a police shooting a few years ago of a homeless man named Milton Hall. It made CNN when it, ha uh, when it happened, but I always, you guys know I always talk about what goes on uh, here in this, in this town that I live in. But it's a pretty, uh, pretty clear example of, of an execution caught on film. It's about seven or eight police officers 
standing uh, 20, 25 yards away from a homeless man holding a sport and opening fire on them. We had about 2,000 people at the rally in Saturday night yesterday, which has got to be a record. I've never seen a protest that large before. Um, and a lot of people had Milton Hall signs uh, on their signs. And actually, to give you a reference point uh, where Reiner works, it's about a block away, just over the bridge, literally. And they're right at the bridge where their building is. So not even, what, a quarter mile from where Reiner works. This yeah, li li literally oh, two blocks. Very close. But anyways, the link is in the chat. I would say maybe this is a good time to um, take some time in your circle of friends, your circle of uh, family circle, and watch a movie. Walk out, watch a documentary, right? Uh, some about the Zoot Zoot riots. I think that's one of the ways uh, that we can promote and get our narrative, you know, to be part of conversation, somebody's conversation. That's the way it's going to start by you know, putting these thoughts out there and making it part of our conversations at our dinner table, at our, you know, organization meetings. And again, I think we need to come back to the question is, you know, how do we use this social media? That's where it's at, right? How do we get, use these uh, technology to our advantage as a tool for freedom? Add to that, I mean, this is what, band number three for me? or something I, I posted and then uh, then they said, oh, we were, we're sorry, uh, what you posted was okay, yet I'm still banned until the 8th. So, you know, social media has its limits. True. That, make, that makes me not want to go on Facebook. If I can't read Reiner's uh, fights with those guys in that one storm, I don't even want to be on Facebook. I just want to say real quickly too, as, as we wrap up, that Ernesto Ayala and I have been working on this petition because the Rasa Unida party page was taken down by Facebook. They were saying that it was like controlled was, by fake profiles. Isn't, fake isn't that profiles, what was, yeah. Yeah. Fake profiles and spamming. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so, I mean, the whole thing is, is that even when we, even when we make attempts to put forward authentic politics from our community, other white people outside of this read that as Russian interference. They read mm -hmm. that as trolling, right? Because yeah. we're talking about anti-colonialism. We're talking about anti, uh, being anti-capitalist. And, and that's, I mean, I, I think that's kind of funny. You know, I think it's, I think it's really something that, yeah. that we should think about. I'm gonna put a link to the, to the petition in, in the- um, I'll, in put the, it, I'll put it, I'll put it. Okay. Hey, hey, can some of you go on my uh, Facebook page and let folks know I've been uh, banned until the week? Yeah. Yes. Carlos. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, just just real quick to, 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 say, to jump on what you were saying, Ernesto, I, I mean, I see ways where they, they, they'll subvert, they'll undermine, they, I mean, they don't want the discussion uh, to get large between brown people, specifically Mexicanos and Puerto Ricanos, they don't want that discussion. That's they, because they know, I, I think they instinctively know, when that discussion gets out there, if they lose us, it's done. Yeah, lost the moment. I mean, when they lose us, when, when, when there's even a decent percentage of our people beginning to understand and put it all together, connect all the dots, and start that paradigm shifts and the expectation shifts, that's big, big trouble for, for them. I'm worried there's a lot of Latinos for Trump out there, though. Like, that's scary. Like, I want to know what the perspective, what are they thinking? Should, we should invite a few and see what's up. 
that's a rumble yeah. right there. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's chit chat, you know. I wanted, I wanted to add. <laughs> Fair point. You know what's funny though hey. is that um, I wrote an article, read an article in the Rolling Stone about habeas corpus being taken away and how um, our department, our um, DOJ, basically wants to put people in jail, jail people indefinitely. Right. So uh, until this thing is over, but the problem is, so this would enable people to go to jail and not see a judge ever. They would remain in jail until a year after this state of emergency is over, which, you know, is just a way to keep people in jail. And it's a way to shut up the uh, people who don't agree right with the current establishment, which is super scary. And then also when we are, when our own military is fighting our own people, that is such a sign of um, our democracy ending. And especially when our journalists are being jailed, that is a huge problem. That is a huge signal to the end of our democracy. Yeah. And like this authoritarian lack of leadership. I mean, it, it's disgusting. We've, we've really got to stay on this. I wanted to add, compañeros, if I may, um, one of the ways we could push our perspective a bit that out there is uh, this year is actually the 50th anniversary of the Chicano Moratorium of 1970, which is directly related to, to all these issues. You know, that's when the, the sheriffs attacked the largest non-white demonstration against the, the war in Vietnam, and they killed three people, you know, uh, including Ruben Salazar, who was a journalist and uh, led KMEX, Channel 34 out here, and two young Brown Beret brothers with that. You know, there was a whole, there was like rebellions all during that time that that are never even talked about, you know, much less than the Chicano Moratorium, but it's going to be the 50th anniversary, August 29th, 2020, all on the same date as the original one, but also we could try to purse, you know, the, the, the Raza, uh, you know, Latino narrative out there with that event, you know, I think that would help out. Valid point. June 3rd marks the 77th anniversary of the Zuzu riots where young Chicanos were attacked by U.S. sailors. In 2020, it is clear that controlling the narrative in which these uprisings are framed weigh heavily on the direction and outcomes of it. It is a reoccurring topic discussed here on Reality Dysfunction. In honor and remembrance, we stand in firme solidarity with the African-American revolutionary community against the forces of oppression and discrimination. In Lakesh, you, Africans, are the other me. In recognizing the humanity of our fellow beings, we pay ourselves the highest tribute. Thoroughgood Marshall. Black lives have always mattered. Hey, homie, I'm getting tired of dudes just getting over on the raza. This is for the raza. This is the reality dysfunction.